With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Christian Marauder as we continue part three of the series called the Judas Generation, the jumping off point into one world government, the last days, barring any miracle from God in order to stop it right now. The Bible in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 makes it clear in verse 15, that which has already been and that which is to be has already been. This speaks of prophetic fingerprints where the past prophetic events in the Bible follow a pattern in fact, Amos chapter 8 reveals such a pattern and that concerns the time that led to the end of the corruption that was in Israel and how God saved the remnant. Amos hears God speaking about some prophetic patterns, I bet you didn't realize that, that would be seen in both Israel and Judah where they'll be scattered first to Babylon and then later, as Daniel talks about, uh, a time upon which there will be a second scattering that happened in 70 A.D. And they were regathered both times back into the land. And then, third time, this will be seen, what these verses are going to be talking about, will be seen in the church too. It's a prophetic template and pattern. Amos chapter 8, verses 11 and 13 speaks of a famine in the land. Not of bread and water, but rather of the word of God. And that is the prophetic pattern that will be seen in the last days, especially within the church leading up to it. It's a high watermark. It's something to look for to identify the times in which we live. So let's look at Amos chapter 8 verses 11 through 13 from the New King James. And it says it like this. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not of a famine of bread nor of thirst for water, but of the hearing of the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. In that day, the fair virgins and strong men shall faint from thirst. Okay, you know, this is a prophetic pattern, and this pattern is going to be seen again in the church, in the days leading up to the last days. Paul warned of this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, where he said there would be a great apostasy. And one of the shades of meaning of apostasy is a falling away into deception so that people will stand away from Jesus, the real truth about the gospel, and hang on to other things. This comes about by false prophets, false teachers, false apostles, false brethren. In fact, Amos chapter 8, verse 14 is written cryptically, very cryptically, yet it speaks of the same thing. And God intended for this to be spoken cryptically. Why? Why? So people would seek him out on this matter, just as Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2 from the King James Version says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but as the honor of kings is to search out the matter. So God wants us to search out, so he wants us to reason with them. Hallelujah. So let's unpack 
Amos chapter 8, verse 14, and see what the apostasy, what this falling away looks like, how it comes about by these false teachers. Okay, let's look at that from Amos chapter 8, verse 14, and I'm reading from the New King James, and it says this, Those who swear by the sin of Samaria, who say, As your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, there's a pause there, and then it goes, They shall fall and never rise again. So what does it mean by those who swear by the sin of Samaria? Well, 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 28, Hosea chapter 8, verses 5 through 6, uh, and chapter 10, verse 5, help shed light on what it was. But it's found in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 33 through 41, explains what it really consisted of and what it looks like. You have to kind of let Bible interpret Bible here, folks. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 30 says this. says, The men of Babylon made Sukkoth Benoth, and the men of Kuth made Nurgle, and the men of Hamath made Ajamah. In other words, they were making false pagan deities, worshiping what we would call fallen watchers here, and turned them into gods. Okay, that's what they do. What happened to the northern tribes, Israel, they fell in league with the gods, the fallen watchers of Babylon, known as Nurgle and Ashima. Nurgle is known as Apollon or Apollo, the one who teaches culture to civilization and cancels out other culture and replaces it with, the, with its own culture and brings pestilences and plagues for rebelling against this culture of death that it brings in. This is a plague god, also one that helps civilization. He comes before the Antichrist appears in Revelation chapter 9, and he's mentioned as Apollon. He is also known as the one who, whose chariot pulls the sun deity out of the abyss of darkness to shine bright in the new golden dawn. Uh, known to us as the Antichrist, but to the world elites who worship such things, it's their Messiah. Okay. Then there is Ashima. Who is that? Well, Smith's Bible Dictionary defines Ashima and equates Shima with this demigod or this, this demonic entity called Pan, also known as Dumuzid, a.k.a. Tammuz, who was actually an imprisoned Nephilim in the abyss that is empowered by the devil and the sun deity to come and rise and rule the world, who is also known to us as the Antichrist. So right in the beginning there, the sin of Samaria has to do with the pagan storyline of bringing somebody out of the abyss to rule the world. Ancient pagan kings and emperors all thought that they were that deity or their progeny would be that deity, okay? Their firstborn. And they had hopes that this will be the one and their kingdom would rule the earth. Okay, Ashima means this. I am the one who makes desolate. Did you know that? The desolator. <laughs> that's an interesting phrase. Ashima. That's what Ashima means. One who makes desolate or the desolator. Jesus warned of the last days. Note this in Matthew chapter 24. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, flee to the mountains. This is the exact same entity that Paul spoke about in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Do you see how Bible interprets Bible? If you interpret it right, it makes connections, okay? But what 
is the sin of Samaria have to do with false prophets and apostles arising in the last days? Some of you can probably answer that, but for those of you who can't, let's keep going here. Let's keep trekking and tracking with me here, okay? Second Kings chapter 17 verse 32 uncovers this in the New King James Version, and I quote, So they feared the Lord, and from every class they appointed for themselves priests, of the high places who sacrifice for them in the shrines of the high places to these entities to bring them out of the abyss to elicit their service and their signs wonders and miracles well you'll find out in these verses which i don't have time to go through for the sake of time the samaritans they respected the lord god but actually used that as an excuse to stand far from the lord all the while claiming they were believers that was the samaritans they had their own mountain their own temple by the time of jesus they were mixing the pagan religions into their worship and corrupting everything and how do they do this well they created their own priests prophets and leaders who led them to serve these other gods according to the rituals of babylon and the nations that are around them they make contact with fallen watchers and demons through images through pagan philosophies rituals laws formulas and they brought this into the house of god they thought they were obeying god because their leaders said they were obeying god but they never actually obeyed or respected the lord in the process they were led astray they thought they were standing with the lord but were being pulled away by their leaders that pattern will be seen in the church in the last days big time that is the sin of samaria of the northern ten tribes and that's going to be seen like i just said it'll rise in the church in the last days let's look at amos chapter 8 verse 14 let's insert the meaning of the names used in the text as it is going to reveal a lot of information and I'll unpack this for you okay amos chapter 8 verse 14 those who swear by the sin of Samaria, which means watch mountain, are watchers who keep watch from the mountaintop over the people, who say, as your God lives, O Dan, it means judge decree, and as the way of Beersheba, well of the seven oaths, lives. And then God responds, these people are not going to rise again. Okay, let's put this together. Let me read it just like it says again. Those who swear by the sin of the watchers who keep watch from the mountain over the people who say as your god lives judge decree as the way of Beersheba, well of the seventh oath lives if you understand and unpack this from the book of enoch if you look at mount hermon there was an oath sworn on there and and seven oaths mean this is a firm foundational oath that can't be shaken you are making a oath seven times to achieve some sort of perfection some sort of new order some type of connection with i guess the fallen deities who are masquerading as gods okay that is what they're talking about and that happened when all the leaders they elected and made their own leaders who brought this out because these entities would have some form of success some form of of signs and wonders that would entice the people to follow them thinking that they were serving god jesus said many false prophets and messiahs will arise in the last days who bring the doctrines of demons that paul warned about that cause people to stand away from the faith thinking that they are of the faith 
This is serious business. These leaders helped flip the church into the culture of the Judas generation, leading the church away from Jesus Christ unto fables. So folks, do you think that this would rather be important for the church to teach on, especially in light of the world events that we're living through now, with this rise of this liberal world order, this new world order of globalism, to know how to identify false prophets who, th who will make you think you're standing with the Lord, but you're actually standing away from them and, and oblivious of it? Do you think that is in some type of importance? Okay, yes, I got to tell you. There are obvious fruitcakes. There always have been fruitcakes around. But in the last days, we are warned to look for this prophetic fingerprint. A massive influx of false prophets and teachers and doctrines of demons to rise in the last day, making you think you're standing with Jesus, but actually you're standing away from him. Okay, so how do we tell the difference between the real and the fake? Yes, folks, it's the easy road to say that there are no more apostles, prophets, because such callings and gifts from God have ceased, except for the pastors and teachers. They are, they are still all that's needed in the church today. Maybe an evangelist thrown in for good measure as long as they, uh, you know, if they're needed, you know. Folks, I'm not here to debate all this stuff. Yes, we can agree. We all can agree that apostles like the original 12 apostles of the first century church have passed away. They have established a church. They have established sound doctrine. They have passed on the final revelation in the book of Revelation. And there are no more. Do you get what I'm saying? Okay, I'm on the same page with you. So, there are no more revelations at all are going to happen outside of the Bible, okay? We can agree on that. That that chapter of the apostles and prophets back in those days, yes, they have ceased in that regards of setting new doctrine, getting some sign from God and, and articulating it and, and setting forth scripture. That has ended, okay? I agree with that. And I get that, okay? But the office of an apostle remains because as Ephesians chapter 4, 8, listen, listen to me, folks, says that he gave gifts to men, and these gifts are defined as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. My Bible, I don't know which Bible you read, tells me that the gifts and promises and callings of God are without repentance. So I want to thank you all who believe that these, uh, the office of apostle and prophets have ceased. Thank you for disproving God while shouting sola scripture, okay? You just proved God that he reneges on his gifts when he says he doesn't, okay? The gifts and callings have not ceased. Well, today... I got to say this, the state of the church leading to, into the end times is marked by a famine of the word of God of, that comes by removing the true apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers because of the fear of the fake and the phony. For this, the church is in a mess. And I got to tell you, it is. You want to guess as to why? And this begs the question, what is a real prophet anyway? Are they merely fortune tellers predicting the future? filled with the bless you and that you will have no hardship kind of messages. That's the only thing they're good for. Is that it? Guess what the answer is? Not really. The word translated prophet in the Old Testament has lots of shades of meaning, several shades of meaning, uh, but one stands out to me as a root meaning from Strong's and other dictionaries like this, and I compiled them together like this. A prophetic person is an anointed spokesperson on behalf of another. 
If for God they faithfully speak God's word, they carry out his plans and instructions, and instruct others on the importance of remaining loyal to God. They also pronounce God's judgments and his decrees, not their own. They speak on God's behalf concerning things to come. They do exploits and honor God and not themselves. They seek to bring moral sanity back to God's people. They expose and confront evil with tenaciousness. They are not popular, and that is the office of the prophetic. Prophesying is mostly about bringing moral clarity and sanity back into God's people. I think that is highly needed today, don't you? We need people to warn of the dangers to come when one strays away from God's ways. That We need that prophetic voice. These people teach and instruct and call to account the erring. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, he wishes that all may prophesy, just like I just described, so that the church edifies and stays strong in the faith, not to puff you up into a big puff of Christian pastry that the devil can eat as a devil's food snack cake. That's what the prophets are for, to stop that from happening. The fake one's self-pride remains intact. They're on self-glory trips, okay? You've seen what I'm talking about. So how can you tell the difference between the real prophetic and the fake prophetic? The fake prophetic, they're self-appointed. They lead people astray to stand away from Christ by thinking they are standing in Christ. That's what they do. So what are their teachings and what are their methods? Well, Paul reveals what their methods are in Colossians chapter 2. So let's look at Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 out of the New King James, where it says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ Jesus. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy. So what does that mean? Okay, the closer we get to the end times, folks, we will see an increasing rise in political philosophies. We'll see a rise in religious philosophies like Gnosticism. We'll see a rise in secular philosophies, business philosophies, media, educational philosophies designed to guide the world into oneness and wholeness and unity. Okay, this philosophical politicalization filters into the church. This occurred in the early days of the church as well as ancient Israel that corrupted one's loyalty and worship of God. In Paul's day, it was called Gnosticism and Gnostic philosophies, the Mirthra or mystery religions, and pagan religion meshing and mixing their doctrines of plurality with the state through emperor worship into the church and we're going to see that setting the stage for it in the last days where people will be made so fearful they will look to a one world leader even in the church to straighten it all out and bring peace and safety back into the land okay in the last days it will come as an art form infiltrating the church and that will replace one's devotion with, with Jesus Christ with a wide array of worldly philosophies. So let me name a few more worldly philosophies. I named a few already. Let's, let's look at some of these that have infiltrated the church, okay? They're not of God, okay? The Bible says they labor in vain unless the Lord builds the church, okay? Just get that in mind. God's word is true. Let every man be a liar, amen? One is the business model, seeker-sensitive philosophies, that are given to improve church growth and to be accepted by culture. So what type of culture is the church being transferred into? 
What is the role of Apollyon, the destroyer? Okay, who? What is his role? His role is to create culture. I suggest you go on Wikipedia and look up Apollo, his character traits. He brings culture. His culture replaces other cultures with his culture. Has to be his culture. If you don't obey, it's, he sends pestilences and plagues to afflict and eliminate the opponents of him, canceling everybody else's culture. It's called cancel culture. So do you see such models infiltrating the church today, where everything is made to make people feel comfortable and non-offending? Why? Because everybody is viewed as being easily offended. And you don't want to offend anybody. They, they may not tithe. They may not give. So sermons are reduced to 20 to 24 minute self-love sermonettes. It's all about you. Confess to be blessed every day. You can easily overcome. You can be a winner. It's just all these little flip-floppy things out there and these sayings and slogans that make you feel good. Okay? You've been to places like that? That's what the church of the last days is going to start looking like more and more. So instead of praying and seeking God on how to reach the area they live with travail and anguish of love for Jesus for the lost, they take the easy road. They take surveys, make plans. Some churches get very big and they're filled with this stuff and people never grow and people leave by the bucket fools and more people come in or other places. These churches end up drying up and blowing away. In order to stop decreasing membership they do more surveys and they find out that people like to do work like to do social justice causes so they implement wokeness into the church it's just a waste of time a bunch of noise folks the bible is abandoned by these works why so no one is offended by why God turns people over to a debased mind to do those things that are not fitting. In fact, those messages are not heard. That's offensive. You throw out the doctrine of hell. Oh no, everybody's going to be saved. You know, um, and, and all this weird stuff comes on, folks. I'm telling you, I'm just telling you, these philosophies enter the church in the last days. And you will see it, just like the sin of Samaria. Well, the occultist Alice Bailey was inspired to channel a demonic entities and their plans on how to corrupt the church. She explained how, like I said in my last message on page 152 in Treaties for White Magic, The Way of the Disciple, and I quote here, she wants a breaking away from old established tradition, a revolt, a revolt, a revolt from authority, heather of the church, dogma, doctrine, theology, and a tendency towards self-determination and overthrowing of the old standards of the old barriers of thought and the divisions existing between races and faith. Okay, so you'll see a lot of race, like Jesus said, nation will rise against nation, race against race will be injected into the church. It'll be a revolt against sound doctrine, reading scripture, prayer will be thrown away for the philosophies of how to grow a church, the philosophies of how to think and grow rich. Things like that will creep into the church. Uh, you can do the impossible. Just quote these scriptures and you can do the impossible. You are an impossible doer, okay? All these slogans come in there, self-determination things, in order to overthrow the church how by revolting against the bible itself so people will think they're doing god's service by getting rid of the bible this came about through the infiltration of the church and seminaries through secret societies just like alice bailey channeled 
And so what they are doing is to foster human pride in order to make church some churches very legalistic, okay? A whipping board saying, we don't want to be like those legalists, do you, with their dogmatic browbeating? How they thump the Bible all the time? Don't be like them. They do that in order to foster a revolt against the church, revolt against authority and sound doctrine. And as Alice Bailey said, they want to foster a revolt against the authority and heather of the church, of dogma, doctrine, theology, and a, with a tendency and a flip over self-determination, falling into the seeker-sensitive model of church growth, and overthrowing old standards. That's how it's done. Have you seen any of that happen today? In Treaties for White Magic, Alice Bailey, the occultist, uh, way of disciple there, explains how to flip the church into a new world religion. And I quote, Theologies will disappear into the knowledge of God. Doctrines and dogmas will no longer be regarded as necessary, for faith will be based on experience and authority will give place to personal appreciation of reality. In other words, your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth, and, and whatever your reality is, that's what it is. There's nothing wrong with it, you know, there's no standards. And she goes on to say, The power of the church over the group will be supplanted by the power of the awakened soul in men through an age of miracles, and the disputations are the arguments as to why and how those miracles, with the consequent skepticism and agnosticism, will give way to the understanding of the laws of nature which control the superhuman realm and the supernatural stages of evolutionary process, end quote. She is speaking of the occultic practices being brought into the church to wow the church to forget about the Bible, to get about faith and theology, and give way to a pragmatic results based on experiences, rituals, and formulas. So like she said, they will understanding the laws of nature that control the superhuman realm okay their supernatural realm so you have five uh, easy methods and steps and rituals you got to do for success you can't never have a negative thought do you get the idea there that's the legalism they inject in the church to get you off a of bible reading getting you away from seeking who jesus is so they use the laws of nature formulas words of power, incantations, and they use the law of attraction, and they use a few select Bible verses to justify doing this. Why? So that any arguments against it will give way to one's own authority, guided by their own appreciation of what reality is, meaning the results and the goosebumps they feel are the substantiation that they are of God. Okay? Alice Bailey wrote and summed up the purpose of all this again in the externalization of the hierarchy, 1957, on the PDF form, page 544 and uh, 545. And I quote, The reorganization of world religions, if in any way possible so that their out-of-date theologies and narrow-minded emphasis and their ridiculous belief that they may know what is in the mind of God may be offset in order that the churches may eventually be the recipients of spiritual inspiration, Preparation for a new revelation which will inaugurate the new era and set the note for the new world religion. They bring everything into unity, just like I said. That's what the false prophets and do, teachers do. You'll hear them talk a lot about unity. Okay, there's true things about Christian unity and there's fake things. The devil always comes in masquerading as an angel of light. A lot of these teachers probably don't even know they are spouting false doctrine because they have been deceived by masters who are actually doing it and trick them to do it okay so folks there's hope for everybody to repent and get saved and right with god hallelujah 
In other words, they want to replace the Bible and doctrine with the all-seeing eye of Luciferian light that teaches it is good to burn it all to the ground. Such light blends political philosophies into the church to be woke social justice warriors, invite this new age Gnosticism and pagan religious practices along with the need for a one-world religion of plurality that worships the state as the arbiters of peace, security, safety for the entire world. They use empty, aimless, seducing deceit to traditions and doctrines and demons of men through the invoking of the basic principles of the world, which are earth, wind, and fire, and water, and spiritual revelation into godhood. That's what they're talking about. This is brought about by false prophets and te teachers and seducers and false brethren and apostles who bring new light from God for church growth to hyper-spiritual mysticism, to bring the occult legalistic rituals into the church. Look at what Amos chapter 14 says with the word meanings added in. Those who swear by the sin of Samaria are the watchers who keep watch from the mountain over the people who say, As your God lives, O judge and decree, as the way of Beersheba, make a seven-well oath, make an oath where you will get your water of life from them. Okay, and the God says those who do this will not live or not rise again. Think about it. This is all brought in, folks, by false apostles, false brethren, seducers like that wax worse and worse in the last days. These are the doctrines of demons that Jesus warned about that cause people to stand away from the faith, having them really think and believe they are of the faith. Okay, while others will distort the Bible as Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 70 say from the New King James, so let me quote this for you. So let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding festival or new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Jesus Christ. Well, folks, Paul specifically is talking about the Judaizers of the first century, okay, who teach that one must return to the strict observance of the Talmud, or the Talmud law, in order to maintain your favor with God and get blessings, you got to maintain the Talmud law, the spoken law. It's, it's their interpretation of it. And they are the type of people that Paul warned about who want you to get circumcised. Okay? A lot of these folks today, you start, start out as Christians, they go into some of these places and then they start to dress like Hasidic Jews. I got nothing against Jewish people. I love the Jewish people. Don't get me wrong. But these people take you into a realm of hyper-legalism and, and, and thumping that you don't want to go in or live under. It is oppressive. It is all legalism. It is all legalism, okay? From that, people drift into the Kabbalah and into strange forms of worship and interpretations, okay? And they go back and it is an amazing oppressive system. I know what I'm talking about. I was part of a messianic church that went that way, and I got out of Dodge, okay? I warned the people, that my friends that were in there, I said, you got to get out, you got to get out. And I met a few of them later, and they said, oh, we would have wished we would have listened to you, Brian. I mean, these people, it's, the church started out great, started out on track with the true principles of messianic Jewish movement in there where it was good and it's all about God's grace and knowing Jesus Christ and being free from the works of the law, that type of, uh, you know, the basic gospel. And that was thrown away for all these works and people's lives were made miserable. Don't go that way, folks. Just don't.
Another branch of false doctrine uh, that card-carrying apostles, prophets, and teachers bring into the church cheats us away from the blessings of God, as Colossians chapter 2, verse 18 and 19 says from the New King James. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility, a philosophy of false humility enter into the church of the last days by these teachers. This is stoicism and more legalism. This is Christian legalism. This is the thumpers I'm talking about. And it's their way or the highway. I mean, these, these people are narcissistic in their doctrines and teaching. Or they're very stoic. Oh, woe is me. I think I got to throw myself in a thorn bush because I have a, a wicked thought. And I got to roll in the thorns and maybe God will be satisfied with my misery. And if he satisfies with my misery and how miserable I am, then I will make it into heaven. Okay? That's false humility. Okay? Colossians chapter 2 verse 18 and 19 says from the New King James, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen. Okay, folks, what I'm trying to say here, you'll see philosophy of the worship and service of angel guides that infiltrate the church. We're all be about reaching and contacting these spirit guides, as Alice Bailey would say. These fallen watchers masquerading as angels of light is what they are. And they're going to be your guides. They're going to be your helpers for the rest of your life. And you're to seek them and get new revelations. That's what that's talking about. Well, these entities will get you away from the holy spirit of god by making you think they are from god and that it's okay to do so this is a form of sorcery by contacting them and forbidden in the bible there is a philosophy of intruding into those things which he or she has not seen being vainly puffed up in his, his or her fleshly mind too they get these false visions and false dreams and trips to heaven. They use spiritual encounters to get people away from Jesus to rely on them. That's how you tell. It's all about relying on them. Or people are defending them more than they will Jesus Christ. You will defend your leader to the death. Every cult leader does that. And this false worship of angels and this junk that service of angels this fakery that goes on is designed to get you hooked to your teacher put him above jesus christ and if you dare mention their name they you will be shut down you will be canceled by these people okay take warning of that okay because they like the dreams and the visions guess what's happened there's no more bible reading your bible reading drops because of uh, spiritual encounters and these people who do this these false leaders it's all about them it's all about their gifts Here, um, so let me give you an example of a giveaway of one of these false prophets apostles teachers who have this stuff in their mind where they intrude into they have these strange visions and dreams they meet their angel guide so let me tell you some of the things they say in kind of a humorous way okay well they tell you how they met harry thon the angel who taught secret revelation on how to gain wealth in 10 easy steps or the angel smoky the bear who will teach you how to get a fire anointing in just three easy steps or the angel condolini with his buddy itchy gitchy goo who'll make you feel all giddy and laughy on the inside and you know it's of God. Count your goosebumps. Right? Well, the fake are all about themselves using Jesus Christ, the Bible, as the means to gain some end for their own promotion just to stay in business. They are deceived. They are not of God, nor are they born again. They are false. They remain that well until they repent. They are deceived by demonic world to think they are saved and helping people. 
So how do we get through this? How do we discern the right from the wrong? How do we discern all this and not be deceived by such people? With that, let's turn to um, Psalms 119 verses 153 to 160 to find out more about this. So let's look at Psalms 119. If you follow me before my teachings on 1 Psalms 19, let me give you a review for those who have not. So Psalms 119 has 176 verses. Each of these verses are, are set up in eight sections of verses. Each section has a subheading of the Hebrew letter alphabet. The way this is designed, and I looked this up and I studied this out and I'm thoroughly convinced of it, is that it's, it's simply, if you know your Hebrew, the Hebrew letter has a numeric value and a number meaning and a pictograph meaning, the original pictograph meaning. And so if you understand how that is and you blend those two, you get a definition. So you kind of look at the definition and you let the Holy Spirit speak to you here and you look at something in there and it seems to answer what to do in times of crisis or times when you're feeling down. It helps you get on track. I always tell people, don't try to read Psalms 119, one verse at a time all the way through. Read it in the eight sections. Learn what the alphabet is, the numeric number means. Learn these things. It's on the internet. I can give you some um, stuff in the description here on that to help you. So I'm going to look at uh, the letter Resh. Its number is the number 200, okay? Its pictograph is of a head. It's all it is, is a pictograph. And it's numeric, has a numeric meaning too of 200 in that meaning in the Hebrew, okay? And so, resh, meaning royal head of a firstborn, a person or a, somebody who emerges into leadership. It's also the numeric meaning means to move into insufficiency or sufficiency that's brought forth as decided from a ruler. Also means how to attain full knowledge that's needed to rule as a head. And the numeric meaning again is insufficiency or double portion given, or out of the mouth of the lion or head leader will decide a matter. It will either condemn or bless. Those are the different shades of meaning of the number 200 with the pictograph added in. So the question is, is that this is a picture of a head, okay? So when I think of that picture, I think of Jesus Christ. So when I want to get through this and how to get through not being deceived by false prophets and all this stuff is... Uh, question, who do I look to? Do I look to the leader or do I look to Jesus? Okay, so how can I remain focused on Jesus and get to know him better? Those are the questions. This answers how to get through all this stuff to decide uh, with someone's fake or phony. Okay, so who do we look to? God the Son or somebody else? Do you look at your own self to get you out of the jam? Who is really in charge? The Lord Jesus Christ or you? Are this other leader who's leading you. Jesus is called the monogenesis of God the Father, meaning he's the one and only unique, one of a kind, born into the world to reconcile us back into the Father. With that, let's look at God's gift to us, his Son, the Son of Man who came in human flesh, who understands what it's like to be human. And I gotta tell you, and I can't explain the doctrine of the Trinity very well, though I try, so send me hate mail later. The greatest mystery of how God inexorably linked himself to our, our humanity to be rejected and despised and acquainted with grief just like psalms 53 says i want to tell you don't accuse god of not knowing what it's like to be human jesus the living word of god stepped into our humanity he was both 100 percent god and 100 percent man 
he wept, okay? He was, he was the God-man, 100% God and 100% man. He did not lose his divinity by stepping into humanity at all. So here's the question comes, who is Jesus? You got to know who Jesus is, right? Jesus is the living word. The Bible defines God as a living God. So Jesus says, I proceeded forth from the Father. So when God spoke the world into creation, the word came forth as a living person, not another God, but the extension of God, the living word who carries out the will and plans and purposes of the Father. Okay. He proceeded forth from God and he's returning back to him. Jesus' own word. He says the Holy Spirit proceeds forth and does the task as a living person to establish a matter and all kinds of things, teaches, instructs, guides, and helps us, makes us born again. But one God in three persons, Jesus, the living word, as Hebrews says, created the entire world. Just as Genesis chapter 1 talks about God spoke and it was, and there was light. God spoke and all this stuff happened and creation happened. Yes, Jesus is the creator, the author of eternity, the author of creation, the living word. So, so God had a plan. I see spoke. Jesus stepped into our world. He decided not to use his deity, but to keep that under the control of the Father and come in the form of a man to do his will, to die for sinners, to expose what we're really like to each other and forgive us of that, provide a way back to him okay uh, that's a very weak analogy of the trinity but not three parts not three gods but one god three persons i hope you can get that just think of the when god speaks a living word comes forth as a person to do the very will thoughts of god jesus says you have seen me have seen the father it all makes sense if you just just let it roll around in your head let jesus teach you what it means okay so how do we overcome? You've got to look to him because he knows what it's like to be human. He's been tempted just like we, we all are, but he has been without sin. He can help you get through things. If you look at him and the centrality of all things, where all blessings flow from the Father to us. With that, let's look at Psalms 119 verses 153 and six, through 160 with the key word meanings added in and modernized. I modernized these to help you understand what the Holy Spirit will teach you from these pages. Okay, so let's look at Psalms 119, verse 153, which is the subheading is Resh the Head. It says, Look upon my afflictions, look upon my afflictions, Lord, and rescue me, for I do not forget your law. The law is not talking about legalism, or 613 laws here, which is what Jesus talked about. You've got to filter this, what Jesus said here. Jesus says, All the laws fulfilled by loving God with all thy being, and love your neighbor as yourself, in Matthew 20, chapter 22. So when you see the word law written in Psalms 119 here, look at the context. That's what it's talking about. I do not forget your law to always be seeking you, to love you with all my heart, strength, and mind. And help me to love others because, you know, brother and sister sandpaper, irritating. I can't love them unless you help me love them, okay? Look upon my affliction and rescue me. Does that make sense? Maybe you're in a bind here and you're looking around and going, you need some rescue. You got to look to Jesus Christ and who he is, folks. How do you do that? By looking to the Lord to love him more. How do you do that? Let's find out. Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, to be prayed, to be counted worthy, to escape these things and stand before them. In Psalms 119, 
it says, look upon my affliction and rescue me. So in this time of false prophets and stuff and cults and stuff rising, we need to be rescued from false doctrine. We need to be rescued from that. And how do we do that again is through the centrality of Christ, looking to Christ in all things. I have no strength or ability to do anything but what you give me, O Lord. So I ask for you to help me overcome, help me have the strength anoint me with your power uh, and i know i need repeated infillings of this and i do not forget your law i will always seek to love you more so rescue me from my affliction rescue free me from my enemies how by looking to jesus christ alone psalms 119 verse 154 plead my cause and redeem me revive me according to your word the word means promises the word of god the uh, all the things and the gifts and callings and promises of God that are in the Bible without repentance, plead my cause and redeem me. This is speaking of Jesus, our Redeemer, who is our head. When you look at these, understand the meanings of what the the the, the context of this is. This talking about Jesus. Only Jesus can redeem you. Only the Lord God himself can redeem you through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And through that, revive me according to your promises in your word. Teach me your word. In other words, be people of the book. Stay in the book. Read the book. Read the Bible. And don't do Alice Bailey stuff and walk away from it. Don't listen to people who are going to draw you away. Plead my cause and redeem me. Keep me away from this stuff, Lord. I have to rely on you. Plead my cause and redeem me. This also involves intercessory prayer. And I got to tell you, this involves prayer. And pray, folks. Pray to know the Lord, to be redeemed from the snares of the enemy. And make a stand. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Okay? You can use the words and promises of God for that. He not leave you orphans. Okay? Revive me according to your word. Let me run to the boldly to the throne of grace. The promises of God and the word of the God and the Bible is not about getting wealth, health, and prosperity. It's not about getting a power trip for self-esteem that makes you all balloon-brained and fill with helium and floating up to the moon there. Philippians chapter 3 verse 8 tells you how you are revived. And verse 3 from the New King James says this, Paul says, Indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellences of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ Jesus. Folks, again, you look to the head. You look to our Savior, Jesus Christ alone, where you count all this stuff as loss. He's far more valuable loving him and knowing him than all the gold in the world. Don't be deceived by the false apostles and prophets and teachers saying otherwise. So I got to ask, is Jesus that to you? Is he like that to you, the most precious thing? If you have trouble with this, recall that Jesus wept in the garden. He knows what it's like. And you can run to the boldly to the throne of grace anytime. How cool is that? Just open your heart. It's called prayer to him. Psalms 119 verses 155 and 156 says this. Salvation is far from the wicked. They're not going to, you know, they don't care one iota about salvation or even what I'm talking about here. For they do not seek the Lord's statutes. What are statutes? And I can give you the, 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 the Strong's definition and all the word theological dictionaries definition. But I want you to understand what the word means to apply it in modern times so you can understand it a little better. 
It's understanding the wise and God's written word on how to live right before others. That's weaved together in a manner so that you can learn about who God is, how great he is, how good he is through his statutes. It's all about staying in the word. You're asking God, salvation is far from the, the, the wicked. Why? Because they do not seek your statutes. They don't look to you, how you do things, how you deal with things, okay? They don't look uh, on how to live right before God. They're only interested in wicked things. False prophets and teachers don't do this at all. They're all about gaining wicked things, okay? So we have a task to do while the stuff hits the fan. Recall that salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. But as Psalms 119 verse 156 says, Great are your mercies, O Lord. Revive me according to your ordinances. Okay? Great are your mercies. Know that God's going to offer forgiveness and mercy and grace to the wicked people. Up to the very end. You can read about it in the book of Revelation at that time. And they reject him totally. Okay? He says, Revive me according to your ordinances. Well, the ordinances are your instructions and verdicts and how you state your case and lay the hammer down, innocent or guilty, okay? Those are your ordinances. What is right and what is wrong as God defines them, not as Apollyon or the cancel culture describes them to be, but in the Bible. Because great are your mercies, because when you look at it like that, you causes people to run to God. Yes, they're offended, but they run to the Lord because the Holy Spirit convicts them and they get saved and they are revived according to the ordinances of God. Great are your mercies, O Lord. You got to remember all our enemies and the fake ones are in need of mercy and salvation and they will come against you for doing good. Okay, you got to understand that when they do, you prove them they ain't all that. They're not loving. They're not kind. They're not all about that. I have universalists get so mad at me for saying that Jesus is the only way. And they throw a fit how loving and kind they are. But they lose the argument as soon as they get mad at me. Do you see how that works? When the enemy comes in throwing punches, hauling you away to some concentration camp persecution arise it proves that the luciferian light is not loving nor is it kind it's oppressive it kills it robs it destroys it lies and it deceives because it's proven by how it treats you okay we have arthur Pulowski up in ontario who was sentenced to jail for 21 days preaching the gospel what does that prove about the canadian government are they loving and kind? Are they really out for your best interest? No, not at all. Not at all. Okay? That's a hard lesson. And I, the Lord will give you strength to get through that. You have to trust him. Revive me according to your ordinances. In other words, rely on the Lord issuing the decree of judgment upon these people. Judgment is mine, says the Lord. He will repay. Let him do the repay. In the meantime, like Paul says, do good as much as possible with you. Live at peace with all men. But know there comes a time when you will have to make a stand against evil at the same time. God will show you the way. He will revive you in that. Psalms 119 verse 157 says, Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, yet I do not turn aside from your testimonies. The testimonies explain how God acts that are explained in the Bible, why he acts the way he acts, that reveal who God's character is, his character traits. 
because you see how he interacts with people in a real world with real life situations and real screw-ups and real failures okay how he handles it abraham made a mistake he lied <laughs> and god got him back on track other people lie and they cover their tracks and it don't work for them just look at how god testimonies that are found in the bible and your bible will come alive when you look at that you'll find out things and you bring it to prayer and lord teach me your ordinances teach me teach me your ways teach me your testimonies teach me your statutes teach me your promises show me how all this works let him show you he will how do you, why is it important knowing the character of god well verse 158 says says i behold the treacherous and loathe them because they do not keep your word In other words what this is saying I the treacherous, I loathe them because they twist your word. They don't guard or protect your word. These are people that are inside the church, folks. Okay? They do not honor the Bible. They don't have no fear of God before them. They do not respect the teachings, the ways, and the promises of God at all. They use them as playthings and toys. The exact thing Paul warned about in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3, not to do, these people do you have to separate yourself from them loathe them turn them over to god let god deal with them okay that's what that's saying folks there comes a time when the wicked will finalize their own doom and they are true enemies of god and they can actually become enemies of us too and there's no more hope for people like that you got to loathe their ways and do not run with them for they are treacherous because they reject god's word and his ways of salvation the false prophets, apostles, and teachers, and so forth, and seducers, their time is going to come, okay? Because they keep rejecting God's mercy because it's all about them. Let's look at Psalms 119, verse 159. Consider how I love your precepts. Revive me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. So what is this precepts? Precepts are instructions and general rules that guide your behavior and thoughts. When you fall and stumble with some bad thoughts and, and ways and, and, and your behavior is not all that up to snuff, you do the first John one nine way. Confess your fault, confess your sin to the Lord Jesus. He's faithful and just to cleanse you of that sin and forgive you and keep you in the way, okay? I'm just paraphrasing that for you to understand it. So that's the idea. Always run to Jesus. Uh, your precepts and general rules that guide my behavior and thought. And I'm so thankful for God's grace. He'll get you back on track every single time. Just Jesus must be central in your life. When we consider his precepts, the general rules that guide our behavior and thoughts, is how we will be revived according to his loving kindness, which empowers us and strengthens us and gives us moral virtue to overcome and endure all things. Because we realize that Jesus Christ alone is our greatest treasure. Look at the last verse, and let's sum this up real quick with that. Verse 160, the sum of your word is truth. I like this definition of truth that I found. Truth is the sets of standard by which reality is measured by, and that reality is measured by God's word. Now, how do I know that? Because look at, look at what the next part of the, the passage says here. Every one of your righteous ordinances, instructions, and verdicts is everlasting. So I, how do I know the word of truth? By your righteous ordinances, your verdicts, how you do things, your instructions, how you carried it out, why you made the verdict the way you did. 
when I look at why did you say, Father, forgive them, know not what they do in one case, and why did you say, fry them in another? Teach me that, Lord. I want to know right and wrong. And you may not like that you're living more wrong than right. Live humbly and walk humbly with the Lord. Have respect for him. Because just like a loving father who will correct a straying son or daughter, he gets you back and everything is good. Okay, But if you stray, it's chastening. Your word is truth that sets standards by which reality is measured by. That's truth. And this truth comes by the righteous ordinances and everything that Psalms 119 verses um, 154 to 160 is talking about. By always looking to Jesus Christ at your head. In other words, you've got to know that God's word is the standard of truth. Not your own. Not culture. Not your ideas. Not your definition of love. Not anything. It's what the Bible declares. And what it says. And what it decides okay as right and wrong you walk in that no matter what's thrown at you you will overcome because god promises that in other words no all comes by knowing the lord because only the lord jesus christ can keep us safe on track during these trying times and away from deception that's the only way we can survive by looking to him who is the head who is the author of eternity who is the one who died for our sins, who keeps us on the way, keeps us on the straight and narrow by our relying on him, by surrendering to him every single day, crying out to him, I have no strength or ability. Help me, Lord. Empower me to get through this. I want to pull out my hair. I'm watching the country dis dis disintegrate before my eyes. Give me the strength to endure. Show me what I need to do. Give me strength power to overcome this what do you have me to do and you will do well when you rely on jesus christ as the center of all things so with that folks let me close this out i didn't want to go too long but i ran over a little bit with that let me close this out and, sh and say that censorship is really a real thing and with that i like people to look at josh peck's daily renegade website because there will come a time when the censorship will get so hard that you'll have to go to websites like Josh Peck's or other sites in order to get content like this. Okay, so just consider becoming a member of the day. Also, look at your screen and you'll see my contact information. If you'd like to help me out and support me, all my contact information is on there, as well as my book title as well. You can help support me by my book you can help support me by paypal account and stuff that is on that screen right now before your eyes with that i want to ask you all to be blessed in jesus name amen with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.